0: Welcome to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. Stay tuned for an analysis and conversation about the issues that matter most to you and your family. Here now with this week's edition of News in Focus is Chris Long.
1: And good afternoon and welcome to this edition of News in Focus. We're glad that you've joined us. Uh, here in these waning days of 2021, as we are about to enter into the new year of 2022. And it's going to be a big year, of course, politically, as, of course, congressional races across the country, uh, Senate seats are up, and there's a political shift that's in the wind. And so it's going to be a very important year. Buckle up. It's going to be a very interesting 2022. The Ohio Christian Alliance will be busy with uh, surveying candidates, uh, presenting candidate forums. Uh, We'll have voter registration efforts, of course. Uh, Our voter guide will be out there for both the primary and the general election so that you can uh, become familiar with these candidates and make an informed decision of who to support. Uh, both in the primary and in the general election of 2022. Well, we are about to approach an anniversary that most of us really don't look forward to, and it's called January 6th. And last year on January 6th, when Congress was uh, considering the election returns, as they were reported by the states on Capitol Hill, there was a rally. President Trump held a rally in Washington. And many Ohioans went to that rally, and the president gave some final thoughts about the election and his term in office and uh, all that he had accomplished. And uh, it was just basically a time of farewell speech by the president for the most part. Uh, but yet it would still be determined as there was some questions about the 2020 election. And Congress does have the right to uh, order an audit of the election if there was questions and there were questions in a number of states and we've now seen where the states themselves have moved forward with election reform with audits in Arizona and Michigan and uh, uh, Wisconsin and a number of states, uh Georgia of course, holding uh reviews and audits and investigation of what might have happened in nefarious ways during the election. And actually there's some people that are facing charges of election and voter fraud charges across the country. So it wasn't without merit. Yet, was it enough to overturn the 2020 election? That will always be a question. But nevertheless, we move on. Uh, President uh, Biden was sworn into office uh, later that month. But on January 6th, that's when it was going to be heard before Congress. Well, what happened? Well, the president held a rally and uh, then there were those who went up to Capitol Hill, and it can only be described as a riotous scene before the U.S. Capitol. We're not going to play audio of that, nor review all of January 6th and what happened. We can tell you that there were bad actors that were involved without without any question. Uh, It has been known and it was identified that members of Antifa Uh, were involved in the crowds that day. They had actually planned for an attack on the Capitol, separate from those who attended the Trump rally. Uh, Members of the Black Lives Matter were there and identified and later charged in Antifa. And certainly uh, people had come there as supporters of President Trump went to Capitol Hill as well. And uh, there was uh, obviously laws that were broken of uh, trespassing and some damage to the Capitol building. Uh, but the, uh, what happened to some of the people that had died that day, uh, some, one man died of a heart attack. He was an older man. Uh, one police officer later was determined uh, died of natural causes. Uh, but the one shot that was fired that day was from a Capitol Hill police officer. Uh, Ashley Babbitt was shot. She was unarmed. She was in the Capitol building, and that still remains under investigation by some. Uh, members of her family want to know exactly what happened, why lethal force was used, why her life was taken when she had uh, she was unarmed and was shot by a Capitol Hill police officer. He was exonerated by the internal review uh, by the Capitol Hill police and the FBI and others, but there may be civil lawsuits that will pursue that Ashley Babbitt's family still wants answers. So obviously a very bad and dark day of January 6th of last year. And many Ohioans who certainly just went to the rally to show their support for President Trump uh, and then just came home, later got knocks on their door by the FBI. Never in their lives did they think that they would get a call from or be knocked on the door by the FBI asking them why they were in Washington that simply went to a political rally and was uh, exercising their First Amendment right, and uh, it sent chills throughout the community. And I actually know people that I've talked to who went to Washington, went to the rally, then went home. They didn't go up to Capitol Hill. They weren't part of what happened with the melee in front of the Capitol or in the building, and yet they got calls and uh, investigation from the FBI. Uh, We're going to be talking to a gentleman on the phone who is a candidate uh, for Congress in the new— election year. It looks like it's going to be the 13th congressional district. The maps have yet to be determined, but it will be what is essentially the old 16th congressional district. He was and is supported by President Trump, endorsed by President Trump. He served in the Trump administration from 2016 to 2020. And we're talking about Max Miller, a Northeast Ohio uh, resident and also a a senior advisor to President Trump and served with honor and distinction from 2016 to 2020 and worked in the advance teams of the president's uh, negotiations with North Korea and with trips to Israel and to Japan. Uh, he was a very vital uh, member of the Trump administration, and recently he has a story to tell because he was served a subpoena by the January 6th commission and federal marshals came to his door. Without any further ado, let's talk to Max Miller. Max, welcome to the program. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for having me. It's good to be back on. Well, thank you, uh, friend. Uh, You know, I want to say that it was shocking to me that one of our advisors to our committee said he was at a recent meeting just a few weeks ago, and I wasn't aware of this. And he said Max Miller got up and he started talking about how either the FBI or the federal marshals had come to his door about January 6th. I said, you're kidding me. He's a senior advisor to the president. Uh, why would they be coming and talking to him? So I was shocked and stunned. Tell us, uh, the listeners, what exactly is going on here, Max?
2: So I'm
3: going to start from the beginning, and then I'll get up to where you were. And that was at uh, McFan out in Medina. But so I received a FedEx envelope in the mail uh, about three weeks ago. I didn't know what it was. It said Verizon on it. I, You know, I have Verizon phone maybe I was late on my bill. I never am. I mean, you know, things like that. But I open it up and immediately it says subpoena. And I, you know, so I start reading. And so the January 6th select committee went ahead and they subpoenaed my personal phone records. No one notified me, not Verizon, not anyone from the committee. I mean, what I'm talking about is extreme federal overreach. This subpoena that they gave to Verizon to encroach on my personal history that's not work-related, you know, it's not limited in scope. They can look at whatever they would like. And to me, this just seems like targeting to the T. I mean, they're not really looking for anything that I did on January 6th. They're looking to see who I'm interacting with or who I'm doing business with right now to try to impact me as an individual. That's what this whole thing's about. But that happened about three weeks ago. And then about a week and a half after that, You know, I I, I'm hearing from people in D.C. that you know I'm getting a subpoena, but I I haven't. You know, no one's coming to my door. I haven't received a phone call. So what happens is, you know, um, I received an email, um, and you know that was it. And then all of a sudden, two U.S. marshals two days later show up to my door. Now I wasn't home at the time. My fiance was, and she called me, and you know she said there are people banging on the front door, and I just said, sweetie. I said, they can't come in. They don't have a warrant. I'm sure one of them will call me. And 10 minutes later, a woman called me and she said, Mr. Miller, you know, this is so and so from the U.S. Marshals. I'm here, uh, you know, to serve you, essentially. And I just said, ma'am, I'm not at my house. I was like, so if we could reschedule that, you know, that would be phenomenal. Um, and to give this individual credit and U.S. Marshals credit, look, they're great people. They, you know, they're they're assigned to do this. They really don't want to do this. She rescheduled with me, and I met her on that following Monday, and then she handed me the subpoena. But it's a simple fact that no one notified me about any of this, uh, of any wrong, of anything. I haven't done anything wrong. The subpoena actually is online, if anyone would like to take a look at it. And I encourage individuals to take a look at it, because, and I can't get into specifics about this, but what's on the subpoena, they're questioning me about a stage placement, Chris. That, you know, they're saying that is a part of an insurrection, right? They just, they want to talk to me. And they said a stage placement, you know, is a big deal. And then they've
1: also talked to me about a few other things, but
0: that's the type of stuff that we're stage, dealing with.
1: So let me ask you a question. Stage placement, are you talking about where you were positioned on the stage of the rally across from the Oval of the White House on January 6th? When President Trump was addressing the crowds that came, um, is that what they're referring to? Yes, that is one
3: of the things that is on the subpoena. Whether the stage was dead center you know, right out there on the White House or it was off center, 10 or fifteen feet. But that's what they you know that's one of the things that's in a federal subpoena by an unconstitutional committee that I received. I mean it really is it's disgusting. And the scary thing is, This can happen to anybody. I mean, Donald Trump was right. President Trump was right. He was the only thing standing in their way to get to us. And now I'm experiencing it, and I truly believe I'm being politically persecuted. I mean, look,
2: what we were able to do
3: on this campaign in six months is, you know, with the the people of this district, and all credit goes to them, they pushed out Anthony Gonzalez, right? Right. I mean, I just happen to be one of the benefactors in the race you know, that received that. But, you know, it's a simple fact that this is political persecution. The establishment doesn't like me. The left obviously wants to see me fall with the Trump endorsement and me fighting back against the committee and the fake news media. I, I, I truly believe this is, This has nothing to do with January 6th. I mean, they, they've subpoenaed two individuals who I'm very close with, their bank accounts. I, why? They weren't spending any money on on, on the 6th, I, but to my knowledge. It's just, you know, they want to see maybe who they're getting paid from. I mean, but it, it's just disgusting. And, you know, they're weaponizing a legislative branch which can't inflict pain constitutionally on an individual. Um, you know, I mean, there are so many things about this committee that no one is talking about. I mean, Mark Meadows, God bless him, I love Chief. I mean, he brought up a really good point in his lawsuit. Uh, I mean, basically saying uh, it's House Resolution, I believe, five hundred three, that there has to be thirteen members, but five have to be appointed by the minority leader. We don't have that here, which makes this committee unconstitutional. Yet, you know, the Democrats continue to go along with this charade because it inflicts pain. But I don't think the Democrats understand it. They truly are. Digging their own grave in terms of elections for next cycle and cycles to follow, if they keep this up. Because I can guarantee you, once we take control of Congress, I'm gonna be excited and thrilled and enthralled when I get to take my turn and questioning Nancy Pelosi and the chief of the Capitol Police Department and Christopher Ray, who I believe has already come back and said this was not an insurrection, but a riot. I mean I want to know where the dereliction of duty falls on their end, because that will tell us what actually happened. Because I do believe they had more of a hand in what happened on that day
1: than anybody. We're talking with Max Miller. He is a candidate for Congress uh, in the 13th Congressional District. Uh, The district maps have yet to be released, uh, but for all intents and purposes, it will be the 13th Congressional District. And he's been endorsed by President Trump. Uh, And, of course, he served with President Trump with distinction as a senior advisor from 2016 to 2020. Now, let's go back to January 6th um, and that day on the platform when the president gave the speech. And, again, he was just encouraging. He was going over the review of the accomplishments of his administration. He was talking to the crowd. Certainly the president had some questions about uh, the election. I mean, <laughs> think about it. Hillary Clinton still has questions about the 2016 election. Uh, she, she's still whining about that. Uh, so, you know, President Trump has every right to have some questions, and, and for, for good reason, because there are people back in the states of Georgia and Pennsylvania and Michigan and Wisconsin and Arizona and Nevada, they have questions about the election in their states as well, and they're moving forward with election reform. Uh, even here in Ohio, that the President won uh, handedly, uh, we are constantly working on election integrity in the state that 's what part of what our organization does uh, We want everybody to be able to vote We want free and access to, to elections, but we don't when someone cheats and there's fraudulent voting they're actually cheating my vote i have one there's one vote, one man, one woman, uh, and when somebody's voting multiple times and putting in multiple ballots they're cheating the system but and then if you get into the issue about uh, election fraud, and again, there seems to be some indication of that, ongoing investigation, in some of the states and the states will handle that. But obviously, all that said, uh, standing on the platform of 20, uh, in January 6th of 2020, it was just basically pretty much a farewell speech. In fact, let's talk about your uh, timetable that day, Max, because uh, somewhere in the middle of the speech or towards the end, You had turned to your chief of staff, Mark Meadows, and basically excused yourself because it was pretty much wrapping up, and you were going to go back to the office, and you've got to think about what your next turn of employment is because you know that your employment's over with the with the administration. There's only a number of days left in the administration, so take us back to that moment on the uh, platform and what your thoughts were at that time and what happened.
3: Well, unfortunately, um, I. Chris, I can't get into specifics because I haven't had my deposition yet. Um, in terms of the general public on this call, uh, Okay. So I, I, I apologize. I, I just, if I would, if I would have had my deposition already, I, I would talk about it in in, in great detail. Uh, the only reason is just because I have not yet had my
1: deposition. So okay, but all right, fair uh, enough. Yeah, we won't get into the specifics but I, there. But you know, I appreciate you coming on I, the program to talk about this. So. Let's talk. Tell us what we can talk about in regards to obviously this is an affront, this is an offense. Can we talk about uh, executive privilege? For instance, historically, President Obama granted his executive privilege to a number of people in his administration, of which was honored uh, by Congress and by the Trump administration to not violate the executive privilege of Mr. Obama. Is that correct?
3: Absolutely. That is correct. And he's invoked it a number of times. And I've told many people this, that if President Trump was still president right now and there was an active investigation under Barack Obama. And President Trump said, you know what, Barack, screw your executive privilege. I'm going to take it away from you. People would be rioting in the streets right now as we speak in every major city across this country. It just that is a fact. There's no other way to get around it. And what they're doing right now in terms of Mark Meadows is a perfect example. Why? Because he was the senior executive to the president of the United States, which means that that man has been in the room for more conversations when it comes to national security and a threat assessment and foreign policy and the economy and everything all encompassing that he knows, right? And they want to take that away from him. I mean, the man complied with the committee, he did everything they asked him to do except he held his ground, and he would not comply when it came to executive privilege. And that is how it should be done, and the committee should have respected that. Now, instead, what they did is they held him in contempt, and they convicted him of it, which is a shame, because Mark Meadows is a great man. And I'm I'm not saying this to, to create fear, but I mean, if people are listening to this, you have to understand, they really are going to come after every individual in this country that I do believe at some point. I mean, they are starting at the top, but they are working their way down rapidly. And it is happening all across. I mean, you just have regular civilians who were there on that day who didn't even go to the Capitol. Now the FBI, as you said, are showing up to their front door. Yet they were just there outside. I mean, for the in- So, you know, for the, but, you know, I do want to say, look, for the individuals that did go into the Capitol and actually steal something like I, I think it's hysterical that someone took Nancy Pelosi's podium. I, I, I mean, I'm I'm going to be as transparent as possible. I think everyone has got a good laugh out of that, but unfortunately, you you can't steal things. So you know, there, people still need to be held accountable um, if you actually did those well, things. Well, that's for the right. Most they're, part.
1: Tra- they're trespassing violations. You know, if someone committed damage that day, th- those people ought to be you know face the justice system, and you know, and of course, be prosecuted. And, and those things are happening. Although those people that are still in prison basically in a D.C. jail all this time, almost a year later, and they haven't even had a trial oh. yet. So due process has been uh, thwarted with those people that have been in prison since Chris, January 6th.
3: Chris, there, there is no more due process in this country. There is no more due process in the media. There is no more due process when it comes to being, a you know, if, if you're a Republican. They bring you straight to the gauntlet. They always assume the worst. That is where the media and the left have gone in this country. It's just a simple fact that it just cuts you right off. Uh, and those individuals who have been who are being politically persecuted that are in prison, there's an, the only one that I really see fighting for them. Uh, I mean, hard is we've got Congressman Jim Banks and uh, Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene. And she's been very vocal about it. And, you know, maybe she makes people uncomfortable. But, man, is she a fighter? I, I mean, she really is fighting for us. And it feels good to know that because a lot of people in the Republican Party are too weak to stand up for any, anyone who got a subpoena by the January 6th committee. And my question to them is, what are you afraid of? Nothing happened on that day, you know, at least from my end and from outside entities and coordination uh, to lead to an insurrection. It's just factually inaccurate. This is just political theater. And once again, they use this and they try to squeeze as much as they can out of the orange. And they try to get as much juice. The problem for them is they got all of their juice on the first day. They literally have just been grinding on a peel for months. And they're going to drag it out as long as they possibly can. We just have to keep on fighting. And that's exactly what I'm going to do when I go there for my deposition. And it's exactly what I'm going to do after that. Because I, I
1: don't think these individuals have an end. Well, that's right. And it's unprecedented. Again, like you said, it's a partisan hit job. This is a really, uh, the Democrats, there's only two Republicans that agreed to work with them. And so they don't even have a, the, the Republicans did not get an opportunity to put their people on the committee like Jim Jordan, Ohio's own congressman. And so it's really, uh, it's a travesty of what's going on here. And so there's, this is such a partisan, one-sided, political hit job that the Democrats are thrusting on the January 6th commission, this is terrible. And I thank you for fighting. And I you know, I sense it in your spirit that you're a fighter. It's votemaxmiller.com is the website. If you want to follow Max, it's votemaxmiller.com. So you've you've um, complied with the subpoena. You plan on uh, at least uh, testifying. Is that right, Max?
3: That's right, because
1: I'm going to tell them the truth. And the truth is exactly what they don't
3: want to hear. So I'm more than happy to do it. I just want to say really quick, Look at the Republicans on this committee. It's Liz Cheney. She's a Democrat. Adam Kinzinger. He's a Democrat. And then you've got Dan Crenshaw, who right now, he he goes where the wind goes. So, you know, that, that's the utmost concern um, is that this is a strictly partisan committee full of Democrats and a half Republican.
1: I'll tell so. you, it's, it's a terrible thing that we see happening. Max, thank you for coming on the program today. And talking about this, uh, we're shocked, we're stunned, but again, other Ohioans have been approached, but you were a member, dis- served with distinction with President Trump. I know it's going to work out, and thank you for fighting for us. We pray, we, uh, we appreciate it, my friend. God bless you.
3: Thank you, Chris. God bless you, and God bless everyone.
1: And thank Happy you. New Year to you, Max, and, your, and uh, uh, all uh, your family. Again, that's Max Miller... You- Candidate for Congress in the 13th Congressional District, the the website is votemaxmiller.com Happy New Year.
2: Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation. The-
4: Trust Blue Review.
0: Welcome to News in Focus with your host Chris Long, President of the Ohio Christian Alliance. Stay tuned for an analysis and conversation about the issues that matter most to you and your family. Here now with this week's edition of News in Focus is Chris Long. And good afternoon
4: and welcome to this edition of News in Focus. We're glad that you've joined, joined us. Well, we've talked about the cancel culture on this program, and how the Ohio Christian Alliance and Christians everywhere, conservatives everywhere, are actually victims of the cancel culture, and being uh, censured uh, off social media and deplatformed, and we are in a all-out war against the progressive left in this country. And uh, it's a very serious matter, quite honestly, and earlier this year... Uh, as this uh, we came out of 2020 in the political year the pandemic year and obviously it's overlapped into 2021 and we're in the throes of another surge of the pandemic right now but um, our state attorney general was sending to me he says i've got a book you need to read he said this is attorney general dave yo said live not by lies a manual for christian christian dissidents by rod dreher and he said this is a great book to read. Then another friend, Mark Harrington of Created Equal in Columbus, said, you've got to read this book, and then he sent it to me in the mail, and I said, okay, I've got the hint, I'm gonna read this book. And it actually is a very good read, and apropos to what we are all facing at this time, and I'm so pleased to have with us Rod Dreher, the author of the book, Live Not By Lies. He is the senior editor of the American Conservative and also the author of The Benedict Option, but we're going to be talking about his book that was released, Live Not By Lies. Rod, welcome to the program.
2: Chris, it's a pleasure to be here, and I'm I'm glad to hear that there's been such good word of mouth in Ohio about my book.
4: Well, that's right, and we want to get it into the hands of a lot of our contacts, and so we're working on uh, getting a number of books into the hands of some of our key contacts, because I think that what you've... Uh, uh, The subject that you've actually approached in this book is going to be with us for some time. We are in the throes of it here in America. And I'd like to just begin with your introduction. Uh, When you received a call, and actually it was from a gentleman who was an American physician, he told uh, you that uh, his elderly mother, who uh, was a Czechoslovakian uh, immigrant to the United States, had spent six years of her youth as a political prisoner in her homeland, And she had spent part of the Catholic, she was part of the Catholic anti communist resistance. And she was now in her 90s, but she said to her son, What I see happening in America is reminiscent of what I saw in my homeland of Czechoslovakia. And you know, Rod, we hear this from so many people who came out of uh, the communist uh, countries and the, uh, uh, the Russian bloc. And They've come to America for freedom, and they said what they see happening in America today is reminiscent of the totalitarianism that they faced uh, in their home countries back in Europe. So tell us a little bit about how you got started on this book.
2: Well, after I got that phone call, I thought that maybe this man's mother was exaggerating. You know, she my mother is old, she watches a lot of cable news, and she tends to get pretty afraid of the world, but... I started after that asking anybody I would meet in my travels around the country to conferences and things, if they came out of the Soviet bloc, I would ask them, are the things you seeing today, does it remind you of what you left behind? Chris, every single one of them said yes, and if you talk to them long enough, you'll find out how angry they are that Americans just won't take them seriously. So uh, I, I finally decided to investigate this further and to see what is it that they are seeing in our country that reminds them of what they left behind. And in the second half of the book, I traveled to Russia and to the former communist countries to talk to Christians who did stay behind and who resisted communism in the name of Christ, and I wanted to find out from them what their advice is for us, uh, for the, the struggle that we face. And i got to tell you, they're really worried about Christians over here now.
4: As they should be. And, you know, the work that we do at the Ohio Christian Alliance is to advocate for Christian uh, and religious freedom in uh, our state and nation, and to fight back against an anti-Christian bigotry that is been encroaching more and more every year. You know, we see the war on Christmas. So we've dealt with that over the years as the ACLU has sought to cancel Christmas um, on public displays of the nativity uh, or any kind of uh, religious public display. The Ten Commandments over the years, of course, uh, and you can go to uh, a prayer in school and Bible reading in school. Ten Commandments hanging up in uh, public places. We've dealt with that over the last ne- the decades. But what we see now is actually a canceling of the christian faith in the public arena altogether and the christian ideal so we see the baker in colorado who uh is a christian man and he will serve anyone who comes into his store but he was asked by a gay couple to make a wedding cape and he said, you know, that's against what I personally believe, and they began to hound him with lawsuits, and he has been sued multiple times, and he's been canceled, Uh, he's been doxxed, and he's gone through all kinds of difficulty, yet he is a standing man, and uh, he is uh, an example of what we really need to do in resistance, but not everybody is of the same... Um, determination. People give in. They, they, you know, whenever the pressure's on, when uh, the group uh, mentality goes against the, an individual and what their personal convictions are and their religious beliefs, they begin to cower, they begin to surrender that position. Your thoughts?
2: Well, that's exactly right, and we in the American Church are not ready for what is right in front of us now, you know, the main thing I got from interviewing all these different Christians, Protestants, Catholics, Eastern Orthodox, in the former communist countries, is that the American Church has got to prepare itself to suffer for Christ and suffer for the truth. Uh, they say that if you don't, or if you aren't willing and able to suffer significantly for the sake of Christ, whether it's suffering a loss of reputation, loss of your business, loss of your freedom, and even, God forbid, it should come to it, the loss of your life, if you're not willing to make those sacrifices, then your faith is in vain. It was a chilling thing to be standing, as I was on the street corner in Moscow, uh, with the snow starting to fall around us, and listen to this white-haired, elderly Baptist pastor, a man who had really suffered for his faith in his long life. He looked at me straight in the eyes, Chris, and said, go back to America and tell the Church, you've got to prepare to suffer, or you're not going to make it. Well, look, Chris, you know, you And here in our country, we've been so blessed with prosperity and with religious liberty for so long that we've gotten soft. A lot of us don't know what it means to make a sacrifice for God, but we had better prepare ourselves now because the time is here and the times are going to get much worse. We have got to be willing to take whatever they throw at us but not move one bit.
4: In our country, we've moved from a base of Judean Christian moral uh, base as a nation throughout our, our history, yet to more of a moral relativism that we've seen and progressivism that's Uh, taken seed in the last number of years, and so Christians find themselves in very awkward positions. If they believe that a marriage is between one man and one woman, uh, that is almost considered to be bigotry at this point uh, in the general public, and that if you're not accepting of gay marriage uh, and or uh, either uh, in addition other arrangements as Uh, moral relativism, you know, has its own encroachment into even more decadency, Christians find themselves in a very difficult position. They're being forced to say, well, two men can be, uh, you know, you can't uh, judge who you love. You know, I've heard this erroneous statement, but this is what the political left says, and um, they talk about that. And so the thought here in the title of the book, Live Not By Lies, which is the essay by Alexander Solzhenitsyn, and I think that that's important because each individual who has a conviction of the truth has to remind themselves, I'm not going to live by lies. I'm not going to accept that two men can make a happy uh, union in their sexual activity. God created man and woman to join together, to make a family, to procreate, to create the nuclear family. I'm not going to live by that lie that the world is telling me right now, that uh, two men can make a family and and be just as... Uh, uh, you know, sanctum as the family. Your thoughts?
2: No, that that's exactly right. You know, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, when he sent a message out, the last message he got out to his followers in the Soviet Union before they kicked him out of the country in 1974, he told them, listen, folks, we can't overturn this totalitarian regime, but the one thing we can do is to refuse to say that we believe things that we do not believe. And he said this if this is the only act of resistance you can mount is to refuse to live by the lies that they force us they're trying to force on us, then you have to do it, however small the resistance. And I was so inspired by that, Chris, because this is where we are in America today. You know, we do not have gulags, we don't have the secret police, we don't have the things that we all associate with totalitarianism, but this is a softer form of totalitarianism. Because a totalitarian government is one that insists that there's only one permitted ideology, and that every aspect of life has to be ideological. So this is how we have coming out right now. Um, the uh, like this month during this year during Pride Month, LGBT Pride Month, you had Oreo cookies and Pride colors. You had cereal for little children that celebrates gay pride and has on the side of the box encouragements for the kids to come up with their own pronouns. Just today, as you and I are talking, uh, I see that there's a commercial out showing Santa Claus getting a boyfriend and kissing his boyfriend. I mean, this is everywhere, and we have got to make a stand against it. I don't think we'll be able to stop it, but we've got to prepare ourselves and our own children to recognize what lies are being thrown at us all the time about sex and gender and race, and not give in to it even if it costs us our jobs.
4: Reading from your book as well in the introduction, it says, uh, you will not be able to predict what will be held against you tomorrow. Uh, this is the woman warns, she says, you have no idea what completely normal thing you do today or say today that will be used against you to destroy you. Um, you know, we're experiencing that right now. I mean, when we think about, for instance, the vaccine mandates, and one of the things that our organization has been doing has been helping people file religious exemptions, you know, where uh, in this country, normally, you know, if a person had objections uh, to a medical procedure and they have their own right to what they Uh, will want to put in their body. I mean, we have constitutional rights. So there are people that can't take the vaccine for personal reasons, uh, medical reasons, and religious reasons. And yet we're in the throes in Ohio that where all these companies are mandating the vaccine as almost a religion and saying you either take this vaccine or you're you're unemployed there's the door first it was the hospitals the medical clinics then it was businesses that were contracted with the federal government of course a lot of this tyranny is coming out of washington with the biden administration with the vaccine mandate order and so that you can't go into this uh, restaurant you can't go into this grocery store you can't go into this business if you're not vaccinated or show proof of vaccination so people are beginning you know a few years ago rod nobody would have ever thought that that be possible in this country yet we're in the throes of it currently your thoughts
2: yeah 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 we are and i look i cards on the table i'm vaccinated i'm a middle-aged guy with autoimmune issues i needed to get vaccinated but i'm very much against vaccine mandates for exactly the reason you say and here's the thing that frightens me chris when i look forward uh after covid goes away we will have established some uh, we will have laid down some practices uh that are going to be quite dangerous. We have seen, since the George Floyd thing came out, we have seen public health officials and uh, public uh, uh, civic officials, like the mayor of Chicago, say that racism is a public health issue. Okay? If they define racism as a public health issue, then, what happens when they say that for the sake of public health, if you don't agree with critical race theory, then you will be treated the same way unvaccinated people were treated back during COVID? I really do believe they are laying down the framework for a social credit system in which eventually all of us Christians who don't bend the knee and burn the pinch of incense to Caesar will no longer be allowed to buy or to sell. They already do this in China. Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor, a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion,
1: and our civilization
4: Events are really accelerating. Just a few years ago, we thought of it more of a soft tyranny or or a uh, totalitarianism that was soft. Uh, Now we're seeing more of a hard tyranny coming down. Well, what's an example? Well, uh, where there would just be doxing and shaming someone and trying to cancel them or their business, now we're seeing um, the federal government actually use law enforcement to use it to, to intimidate public citizens. So let's take the school board meetings right now with parents coming and addressing issues in a public forum which we have long heralded as the first amendment right in this country. And I just saw a video this morning of a man in Texas. He just literally had his laptop, it was his time to speak. He went up in a civil manner. He began to address the members of the school board but he he was approaching a subject that they did not want to hear, and they called him out of order, and they called for two police of the community to come and arrest him. They drug the man away from the podium. I'm telling you, Rod, that's what I would call hard tyranny, but your thoughts?
2: Yeah, yeah, and we saw uh, just uh, this fall, we saw the National School Board Association call on the Department of Justice to go after parents who were questioning what the schools were doing with their kids in terms of critical race theory, um, saying that these people were, quote, domestic terrorists. And the government would have done that had the whistleblower not come forward. They would have gotten away with it. And uh, I, I just think that you know, we're not seeing the hard, terror- uh, hard tyranny except a few places here and there, like just mentioned. But believe me, it's coming. And even if it doesn't come anytime soon, though, I want people to understand that we are in a time of soft totalitarianism for sure where you, a lot of us think that everything's going to be okay because that this is only something for young people or only in San Francisco or Boston, places like that. No, no, no. It's right here in middle America where a lot of us live, and our children are being propagandized by social media all the time. This is not something that we can vote our way out of. We, Christians absolutely have to stay involved in politics, if only to protect religious liberty. But the things that are happening now in our country are beyond politics. It's cultural, and ultimately, it's spiritual warfare.
4: That's exactly right. I'm looking at Chapter 3, Progressivism as a Religion. Explain that, what you cover in that chapter.
2: Yeah. Well, uh, I think that wokeness, as we call it, is a pseudo-religion made up by left-wing people to fill the God-shaped hole in their souls. As uh, faith in Christianity has declined, especially among the millennials and Gen Z, they have filled that hole with uh, a political religion. Now we had in the early 20th century two political religions, Nazism and communism, that uh, wreaked havoc on the world. I think wokeness is a form of this because, and progressives really go at what they at their ideas as if they were religious. They believe in absolute right and wrong, and they believe that they, as left-wingers, know what right and wrong is. Uh, They believe that if they just get rid of the bigots, the Christians and others who stand in the way of progress, that then, finally, we will have utopia. This is what Marx taught, and it, of course, is a lie. But they firmly believe it, and uh, I've I've told my friends that, If you want to figure out what wokeness is all about, don't think of it as politics. Think of it as religion. And then you see these people are Puritans. They're left-wing Puritans. They're left-wing fundamentalists. And they have no interest in talking with us and debating us and tolerating us. They just want to destroy us.
4: We have seen this play out. Uh, Obviously, our history as a nation has been under assault by the left and by wokeism. Obviously, the 1619 Project, as it was that the New York Times launched, uh, was meant to upend the, the 400th anniversary of the Pilgrim's Landing. Uh, the pilgrims did not come for uh, any kind of subjugation of other people, or uh, exploitation of the land, or for treasure. They came to actually uh, find a new way, uh, a new uh, in the new world, to be able to worship freely and to raise their families. Uh, and actually just different from what uh, Jamestown was, actually, Uh, and they didn't come in conquest, and that actually doesn't work with the political left's narrative, because they were a peaceable people that actually made peace with the Native Americans that were there, and uh, uh, actually treated them and uh, accepted them as brothers— and the peace treaty that the Pilgrims made with the Wapanao Indians lasted for over 50 years before there was conflict. But, so they had to upend that with the 1619 Project, then tear down statues of Christopher Columbus and uh, other of our uh, uh, founders uh, throughout our history, and, and of course uh, the founders of our country, Thomas Jefferson, Abraham Lincoln even wasn't uh, ex- you know, excused from this when they were just— te- when, they, when the left starts to mindlessly tear down history— Uh, they don't really stop and check the facts. Your thoughts?
2: No, they don't check the facts because this isn't about facts. This is about a narrative. This is about establishing a dominant story. Uh, We in the U.S. have got to realize the, the radicalism of the attack that we're under now. One of the great lessons of totalitarianism is that whoever controls the cultural narrative, that is to say the story that tells other people within the country who we are as a nation. Those people control the future. So uh, what they're trying to do is gain control of the cultural memory of our nation. That's what it means to tear down statues and to dishonor the founding. They want to discredit the whole thing so they can replace it with a left-wing, secular, godless, um, you know, pro-LGBT, racist uh, uh, founding. And this is something that the people who lived under communism understand very well. One of the, the forms of resistance, they said, we have got to learn how to practice, is protecting our cultural memory. That is to say, even if our, if our schools throw out history and, and suddenly start denigrating our founders and so forth, we have got to work privately to educate our own children about true history. Uh, this is why, at one reason, I'm a big proponent of classical Christian schools, And the best universities in this country, they're throwing out study of the classics, of the Greeks, the Romans, of people of our past who all contributed to Western civilization. The only place you can find study of these people more and more is in classical Christian schools. I tend to think of classical Christian schools and the the few colleges, Christian colleges, that will teach the classics as being like the monasteries were in the Dark Ages. These are the only places where they maintained the faith and the light of learning while the barbarians were roaming around killing people and destroying. Those monks kept copying scriptures and also these books from the Greek and the Roman era so people could remember. We have got to keep up our cultural memory, Chris, because if our kids don't ever learn these things, then they're lost.
4: That's exactly right, and one of the things I really enjoyed about your book, it really turned, and you even say that it has part one and part two, and when I got to part two, and you you went behind what was the previous uh, Iron Curtain into the uh, former Soviet bloc countries of Czechoslovakia, Romania, Albania, and some of the countries, in the, and Russia itself, talking to these dissidents. These were Christians who fought against communism. Uh, and held on to their beliefs all through those decades. And of course, it was almost as if you went on a spiritual pilgrimage. And uh, I, I sensed that in the writing of your book, and I really w- enjoyed part two, because I could see that you, for you personally, it affected you deeply. Explain.
2: Oh, it really did. You know, I, uh, the life that we live here in America is incomparably better in terms of personal liberties and material uh, blessings than the people back then of the communist world. But they were so much richer in spirituality. I, uh, I think often today about this man. He, he died in uh, 2012, but his name is Dr. Sylvester Kirchmeri. He was a young man of the 1950s who was part of the underground church in Slovakia. When they pulled him off the street uh, and threw him into prison, he laughed at the secret police they said, why are you laughing? He said, because I've been waiting for this, and I thank you for giving me the opportunity to suffer for my Lord. That man went into prison, Chris, and he uh, he writes in a memoir later, uh, published after Communism fell, that he knew that he could never feel sorry for himself, because if he pitied himself, he would collapse morally and spiritually. What he did instead was to decide that he was going to see himself as being brought into that prison to suffer with Christ and for Christ, and to serve the people around him in the prison. That's what he did for a decade. As soon as they let him out, he got right back to evangelizing and and building the underground church. That's the kind of mentality I heard over and over and over again in every country from Christians of different denominations. We have got to develop that within ourselves.
4: Thank you, Rod. We've run out of time. Thank you. I'll have to have you back. Rod Dreher, Live Not By Lies. Thank you for being my guest.
0: You have been listening to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. To learn more about the issues that matter most to you and your family, visit online at ohioca.org. That's ohioca.org. Thank you for listening. This program is sponsored by the Ohio Christian Alliance of Akron, Ohio.